It's a Saturday morning when we have a wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Happy New Year again. A brand new year. Indeed, Denny. Happy New Year to you, too. And it is a brand new year. And based on that, that's kind of what I'm going to talk about a little bit this morning. A friend called and said, you know, I'm my son is just starting to get into wine. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I'd be very happy to. Wine is sort of a simple subject to begin with, and people make it much, much more complicated than it really is. For example, when you're tasting wines, there's five things you look for. The first thing is the color. And is the color all right? Whether the color is red, white, or rosé, and is the wine not cloudy? When you're looking at color, you want to make sure that that wine is just pristine clear and there's not any cloudy alteration. The next thing you look for is the aroma and you smell the wine. Does it smell like wine? Yeah, then the aroma is just fine. The next thing is a little more complicated. That's bouquet. And that's where you're looking. Is it Zinfandel or is it Cabernet Sauvignon, etc., etc. And, of course, when you're doing all this, you should know what the wine you're tasting is so you can identify in the future what a Zinfandel smells like as opposed to what a Malbec or a Cabernet smell like. The fourth thing we look for is taste, and that's when you put it in your mouth and you taste it. The last thing is the aftertaste. Now, that's when you swallow the wine, what kind of a taste does it leave in your mouth? So when those five things are in balance, and whether somebody grades a wine on a 100-point scale or a 10-point scale or a 20-point scale, these are the five basic ingredients, color, aroma, bouquet, taste, and aftertaste. And if they're all in balance and you like it, fine. That's the way to go on that particular wine. You don't really have to uh, go into all the nuances and all that other stuff. If you like, as one friend told me a long time ago, if you like it, drink it. And that's basically my philosophy as well. If you like it, drink it. But those are the tasting things you look for in a wine. Also, when you're doing that, people ask about glassware. Well, frankly, you only need one kind of glass for a wine, and that's a, a, a glass, in my opinion, that has a 12-ounce bowl. And the 12-ounce bowl should never be filled more than one-third full. In other words, it shouldn't have more than four or five ounces in that 12-ounce bowl. And then that leaves you plenty of room to swirl the wine around. And if you'll remember, when we talked about the tasting, two of the five ingredients, a Roman bouquet, have to do with the sense of smell. Your nose can distinguish over 60,000 different things, while your taste buds only can determine sweet, sour, bitter, and salt. And that's why many older people say everything is bitter or everything is salty. They've lost a lot of their power of smell, and they're losing part of their powers of tasting when that happens. So, again, it's a pretty simple thing. Get yourself maybe 12-ounce glasses. They have glasses that don't have stems on. They have glasses that do have stems on. Any kind you want, but just make sure it's a 12-ounce bowl and never fill it more than a third full. When you fill it up to the top, when you go to smell it, you just get wine on your nose. Now, there's really only basically three kinds of wine, sparkling, still, and fortified. Sparkling, we all are familiar with. We talked about that last week, uh, different champagnes. And 
uh, different sparkling wines from around the world. Champagne is only unto itself in that small little quadrant a little north and east of Paris. And as I said last week, it's certainly when you're in Paris, if you happen to have a free day, and of course free days are a rarity in Paris, there's so much to do there. But if you have one, it's worth going up to uh, Epernay, uh, to Champagne Country and villa, visit a Champagne house while you're up there. It's an easy train ride from Paris, and you'll learn a lot about sparkling wine. Then there's still wine, and that's basically the body of all the wine we talk about. Uh, whether we're talking about red, white, rosé, or whatever, they're still table wines. And lastly are fortified wines. Now, fortified wines are wines where they add uh, alcohol to to stop the fermentation, to get it a certain degree of sweetness or dryness. And fortified wines are port and sherry and Madeira, Marsala. There's fortified wines from all over the world, and uh, those are the three types of wines there are. Now, there's styles in making uh, wine. There's styles of sparkling wine uh, and table wine. You make light wine, full wine, sweet wine. Rosé has styles, too, very dry to almost too sweet. And dessert wines. So the, the styles are there. But again, there's the only the three basic types. Uh, still, sparkling, and fortified. And that's it. So it, it isn't that complicated. I get asked often, what's my favorite wine? Well, it's simple. Whatever is in my glass at the moment. Uh, can I put ice in wine? Absolutely. If that's how you want to put ice in it, by all means. And if you like to drink nothing but sherry, by all means, just do that. Uh, the problem is, is paying too much attention to all the tellies and the rule makers. There aren't any when it comes to wine. It's your. It's something you like. It's like having a steak. Some people are absolutely abhorrent if someone orders a steak well done. Uh, well, that's their taste. What difference does it make? You're not going to eat that piece of shoe leather. But the point is, it's a matter of personal taste. So wine is that way, and whether you put ice cubes in it or not, again, that's your thing. What about rosés? Are they they're only for summer? Absolutely not. A rosé makes a fabulous aperitif. Uh, sparkling wines, of course, are great aperitifs. And sparkling wines, I always tell people, you want to try a marriage made in heaven, take a potato chip and a glass of bone-dry sparkling wine. Uh, it's a marriage made in heaven. And that's why sparkling wines make such good reception wines. They go very well with those savory uh, hors d'oeuvres. But uh, rosés are not just for summer. A rosé makes a great aperitif, goes perfectly with those light finger foods and hors d'oeuvres, etc. And like I say, they know no season. So don't be a prisoner and just serve rosé on hot days. It goes all the time. What about wine names? How do you get them all? Well, it's really very simple. They're either geographic, and by geographic, there is an area in the world called Chablis. There's an area in the world called Chianti. There's an area in the world called Burgundy. There's an area called Rhone. There's an area called Piedmont, etc. They get their name from geography or varietal. A varietal means what kind of grape is it? Is it a Chardonnay? Is it a Cabernet? 
Is it a Malbec? Is it a Merlot? At any rate, so you get geography varietal, and then there's fantasy names, which I just love. My favorite of all time is Leafrau milk, which means virgin mother's milk. And it's a very interesting story how that came to be, because as you can imagine, a virgin mother couldn't, shouldn't have any milk in her breast. But the story with Leafrau milk is there was an old fellow who had a vineyard right next to a chapel, and the chapel was dedicated to Our Lady. And everybody said to him, how come your wine is so exceptional? And he said, it's my Leafbrow milk, the milk of the virgin. The virgin overlooked the vineyards, and the name caught on. And there's all sorts of other things. In Burgundy, a great wine is called Enfant Jesus, Baby Jesus. Uh, They have fantasy names. So the, the names come from either geography, the varietal itself, or fantasy. Now, temperature wine, that's a a thing everybody asks about all the time. Uh, Red wine should be served about 65, no more than 70 degrees. Uh, White wine, 45, no more than 50 degrees. And uh, that's the ideal temperature. However, as I always tell people, if you have some wine and you're worried that people won't like it, serve it ice cold. The colder, the better. Then people won't even notice uh, it's imperfections, because there are plenty of them in a bad wine, believe me. But putting it ice cold, serving it at maybe 40 degrees, most people won't even notice that. So again, red wines really shouldn't be served at uh, room temperature, particularly if the room is 77, 78 degrees. They need to be a little cooler. I always tell people... Uh, you can put wine in the refrigerator. It takes about 20 minutes for uh, white wine to come down to the right temperature on most refrigerators. Red wine, in there five or six minutes, it'll bring the temperature down a little bit, and that'll make it just fine. Is there any difference between Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris? No, absolutely not. Pinot Gris is another name for Pinot Grigio. We grow a lot of Pinot Gris, particularly in the Pacific Northwest here in Oregon and Washington, etc. But it's exactly the same as Pinot Grigio. Pinot Grigio usually style-wise is lighter, it's high in acid, um, a crisper wine. Gris is more full-bodied, spicier, and heavier in the mouth. And that's because of where it's grown, and the particular vigneron and how he tends the grapes. That's why grapes are so different. You cannot get the same uh, Cabernet in Bordeaux as you can in California. There can be similarities, but it's always going to be different because of the soil. As most winemakers tell you, it's the expression of the terroir, and that uh, becomes very, very important as you taste these wines. A friend of mine called not too long ago and said his mother just got back from Europe and she loved all the wine. How come she didn't get a headache there and whenever she has a glass of wine here, she gets a headache? Well, Mom, I'm sorry to tell you, it's your imagination. The wines are absolutely no different in Europe that you had them than they are here. I always tell people the story about a couple sitting on the Champs-Élysées in Paris having a pichette of wine, swearing it's the best wine they've ever tasted. Well, they were in love, or thought they were. They were having an omelet as only the French can make it. That pichette of wine in the same harsh fluorescent light 
of your kitchen with your significant other in a bad mood is not going to taste like it did on the Champs-Élysées, but it's exactly the same. So there is no difference, and there's nothing they do to wine that you don't have a headache. One of the things people told me once many, many years ago is usually headaches are come. You felt guilty. You had too much wine, even if you didn't drink enough to be like tipsy or anything, which felt you overindulge. You had three glasses and you only meant to have two. That guilt feeling will generate a headache much more quickly than the wine itself will. What about sulfites? Well, if you have somebody that's allergic to them, that's a real problem. But sulfites can be dissipated from a wine very easily by uh, stirring that wine up. And you can do that by uh, decanting back and forth from the bottle into a decanter and back and forth like that three or four times. But make sure the person that's doing the decanting isn't allergic to sulfites either. But that's the best way to dissipate them. And speaking of decanting, every wine benefits quite a little bit from decanting. It's a wonderful way uh, to enjoy wine. That aeration makes every wine taste a little better. In fact, at Haskell's this year, we had these decanters, which I found absolutely fascinating. Uh, you set them on top of a battery-operated module, and the wine forms a whirlpool in the center. In other words, it, it aerates itself constantly while it's at the table. A great gadget for a wine lover. But anyhow, I think you get the idea on all this. We, we could talk about everything and that anything you want about wines, and wines is a, a, a wonderful world uh, to enter into. It's part of the good life. It'll enhance every bit of food you ever had. There's a wine that will enhance that little bit of food and do it very nicely. So enjoying wine is a wonderful thing, provided it's done in moderation, and that's the key, moderation. And I hope I answered and got a few things out of the way here on tasting wine and learning a little bit about wine. Uh, you, uh, books are a good thing to do with that. And you can go to the library or go online, and there's lots of information about wine. Absolutely, and uh, you're going to get a lot of information. Have fun, too, at any Haskell's location. The Haskell's folks love to talk about wine. They love to marry wine with food, and they're bloody good at it. So stop in. There's a Haskell's near you. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington, Excelsior, Fairbolt, Maple Grove, Supercellar, not to be missed, 22,000 square feet. In downtown Minneapolis, we have free parking. <coughs> On Saturday and Sunday, there's a Haskell's at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Island Village, still under White Bear Lake and Woodbury. And if you can't come in, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, at Haskell's, we do deliver. Thank you so much, Jack. Let's do this again next week. And again, Happy New Year to you, Denny. Thanks yes, so much. Indeed. Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Do this again next week. And again, Happy New Year to you, Denny. Thanks yes, so much. Indeed. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.